Welcome. It's great to see each other. It's good to be together and to specifically be the, the family of God in faith, learning together what it means to be a part of this, this family of God in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're continuing today in our series uh, on the book of James called Show Me. And if you've been with us throughout these last couple of weeks, you've known that Show Me is all about putting faith into motion, not just talking, but living it, putting, uh, walking the walk, putting it into motion. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I started this series on the book of James, we talked about, I talked about how um, what we have is a pastoral letter from James, and we can pretend that James is our pastor, or maybe even our coach, and we get some really tough, challenging words from our coach or from our pastor, but we don't want to dismiss or, or, or miss out on the grand invitation that's happening in this moment, which is God saying, come and walk with me. Come and walk this, this life that I am giving to you and guiding you in. Come and walk with me. And so James, through his exhortations, through his teachings, through his uh, encouragements, and sometimes really tough words, we, we get that on a series of, of different topics, and specifically for people who are really struggling, people who are faced with all kinds of temptations, difficulties, sufferings, trials, and they're scattered all throughout uh, a, a large region of the Roman Empire. And he's writing to these specific Christians. So today I want to talk more about what it means to walk, what it means to do the things that we need to do to live the ways of Jesus. But there's an important caveat in all of this, and it's something that we all know full well when it comes to living a, a life or walking a walk or you know, living the ways of Jesus or, or living any, in any context, really, that as much as there are things that we need to do, as much as we need to be taking steps towards something, there's a whole host of things that we also are not to do. So sometimes show me is about not what we're doing, but what we're not doing. Now, if you're in any kind of marital relationship, you know that this is really, this is true. There's a lot of truth to that, right? There are a lot of things that you do to maintain a healthy and vibrant marriage, but there's also a lot of things that, that you don't do. Now, I'm not talking about all the trivial things and all of that. I'm talking about the really important things, like don't stack the plates on top of the bowls. Um, shout out to my wife who heard me belly aching about that one last night. So in any relationship, we face this, right? Doesn't matter in our homes, in the workplace, there are things, if you're gonna be in a relationship with other people in any capacity, there are things that you do for the sake of that relationship, and there are things that you don't do. There are obvious boundaries when it comes to that, or maybe sometimes not so obvious boundaries. Don't do that if you wanna keep, a, maintain a healthy, vibrant relationship. And the same is true with a relationship with God. There are the when we're talking about showing our faith, there are a series of things that we do, and there are also a series of things that we don't do. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as James brings that topic to us, specifically in the form of the topic of temptation. Temptation. Now, there is probably a part of us, because I've thought this too, is that, you know, what's the big deal about temptation? 
Like, right, uh, it's okay to look, but don't touch, you know. Everybody has temptations. We all have our specific bugaboos, right? Our, our own topics, you know, our own allures, that kind of thing. And let's be honest, if we remember, we read our Bibles, that Jesus was tempted too, wasn't he? Jesus went out in the wilderness and, and he was tempted. So what's the big deal about temptation? And James brings it up. Here's what he says in verse one, starting with, or chapter one, verse, uh, starting with verse 14. He says, but each person, each person, all of us, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Okay, so we're not talking necessarily about the presence of temptation, but how we're kind of taking steps towards that temptation. We're giving in to that temptation. We're entertaining that temptation in some capacity. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Essentially, and then he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Essentially, he's saying, this is a matter of life and of death. And I know that sometimes our temptations seem really trivial. They seem small, especially when we think we're not harming anybody. James is saying, look, this is ultimately a matter of life and death. And here's why. It has everything to do with something called buy-in. Buy-in. When we take steps towards our own temptations, these things that we know are not reflective of a life in Jesus Christ, when we feel that temptation, we take steps towards that temptation, or we entertain that temptation, it is a matter of life and death because of what we begin to buy into. Now, on some levels, I mean that in a very literal sense. Chances are that whatever your temptation of choice is, whatever that is, um, there, there's an industry associated with that. If you are struggling with sugar addiction, for example, I learned this full well a couple of years ago when I tried a special diet, 30 days with no sugar. And it was really, really hard, not just because I couldn't eat sugar, but because I tried to prepare food with ingredients. And look, sugar's in everything, guys. I mean, in at least different forms of it. It's in everything. And it's so hard to find ingredients to prepare food. There's an industry built around this particular temptation. I don't have to go very far and talk about the porn industry, do I? One click, one subscription, one view buys into an industry that exploits women, exploits uh, children and, and people. And it works like any other business. There's supply and there's demand. If you wanna solve human trafficking, I'll solve it for you. Get rid of the demand. Get rid of the, the need for it and there won't be an industry created specifically for that need. So there is literal buy-in when it comes to our temptations of subscribing or buying into particular industries that feed off of those addictions or those habits or those patterns that are harmful and destructive and, and, and are not a part of God's vision for a flourishing life. But bigger than that and grander than that, there's also a different type of, of buy-in 
that when we take steps towards temptation, we are subscribing to it. And it's a, an attitude, it's a posture, and it's a, it's a mentality. And that is that this momentary thing that promises to fulfill me in the moment is actually going to do that, is actually going to bring life to me. It's actually going to fulfill me in some way. It's going to satisfy me in my particular appetite in that moment. This is what James is saying. He said, no, it's actually the opposite. That when you give into it, it gives birth to sin. And when you live into that, that gives birth to death. It's a matter of life and of death. I wonder if we could all resonate with this attitude, this mentality in in some way. And this attitude and this mentality is very deceiving. It tricks us in our definitions of of several things, of of what we truly need for sustenance and and for life. It it tricks us in really even the simple things, what is a want and, and what is a need. And I fall victim to this all the time. I'm sure you do too. That I say that I want, I need something, but really, I just want it. Or I say that I need something because I think it's necessary for life, and then I'm reminded when I don't have it that life can go actually go on. I can actually breathe air. I can actually have a meal for the day. I was reminded of this when uh, recently when I started, uh, I felt like the Lord was leading me to practice the Lord's prayer more in, in my own daily prayer life. And you know, Jesus talks about temptation in this model prayer in Matthew chapter five. He models this prayer, and it's very simple, simply this, or I'm sorry, chapter six, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Kind of gets, doesn't get plainer than that about temptation. But there's another prayer in this model prayer that Jesus teaches us that actually sets the stage more for me in terms of temptation. And it's a couple verses before this. It says this, give us today our daily bread. And the reason why this hits me every single time I pray this is because I know that as a a, a white middle-class man in the United States of America, give us this day our daily bread is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. And that there are billions of people all around the world where that prayer is literal. That they are literally asking God for their bread, for their food, for that particular day. Because they don't know where else it will come from tomorrow and the next day. It's sobering for me when I read that and pray that prayer that the things that I think that I need are actually more than the need. And that when I think or tell God that I need those things, I'm actually telling God that what he has given me that is good and that his providence, that his providence has provided to me, I'm telling God, no, God, it's not enough. I need more. I need more. When I give into temptation, when I take that step towards the allure of temptation, I subscribe to a mentality and a posture of heart that says, God, you are so good and you have given me so many good things, but it's not enough. I need more. I need more. This is the lie that we are sold 
by the temptations that fill our minds and increase our, our appetites. One of my favorite authors is Calvin Miller. He writes this great book called Into the Depths of God. And in that he says this, he says, um, how does an adulterer become an adulterer? How does a drunkard become a drunkard? How does an immoral man become immoral? He becomes so by losing mastery over his, his appetites. And might I suggest to you that where we live in the context of the world, where we live in this place, in this society, in the Western world, United States, with the kind of opportunities that we have, the access that we have to all kinds of different things, I would suggest, suggest to you that temptation is probably one of the highest subjects that we should be talking about in living a life in Jesus Christ or living according to God's ways. And we don't like to talk about that, do we? It puts a target right on our hearts and our spirits. And especially, especially during this pandemic, when the lives that we have gotten used to and we have filled our calendars with and busied ourselves with has now been disrupted in many ways taken away from us. It's all different now. And in the midst of that disruption, other voices can sometimes get so much louder to say, I know what I can fill that space with. I know what I can fill that time with. I know what I can do to, to make life more fulfilling in the midst of the disruption. Listen, we talk about this all, every week on Monday nights at Celebrate Recovery. It's that voice that lies to us and promises to us that whatever it is, whatever we're facing, it's going to fulfill. It's going to produce the kind of meaning that we want. And at the end of the day, it only leads to decay and to death. And that what we are really doing in the midst of our temptations, if we're following those temptations and listening to those voices and allowing those voices to guide us, what we're really doing is choosing a distraction from what is real. Because sometimes what is real is painful. What is real is hard. What is real is uncomfortable. And it, sometimes it just seems easier to choose a facade that promises something else. Temptation. And so, James is writing to these, early, these Christians, most of them mainly Jewish Christians, and it, telling them the importance of, of perseverance, of endurance. And here's the thing about uh, perseverance and endurance, that it's not really doing a whole lot. It, in many ways, it feels like you're just standing there and taking punches. But there's more to it than, than what we realize. He says in chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the one, remember Pastor Steve said that there, James is kind of offering his version of the, of, the, uh, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the one who preserves, uh, perseveres under trial because Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, crown of life, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Endurance is not fun. 
In many ways, it feels like we're standing still. We're not, we're not making the progress. We're not fulfilling these purposes and dreams that we've had for our life. And every definition that we've constructed in our minds of, of life and of flourishing and of abundance, when we're in these seasons and we're called to simply endure or to simply persevere or simply to survive, that's not fun. I'd rather be in those seasons of abundance where things just sort of happen, like it just all just sort of goes my way. Don't you just love when that happens? <laughs> and yet the reality is we, it's not life. And there are seasons of pruning, seasons of challenge, seasons of, of, of reducing the things that we have built for life. And our call in that moment is to simply endure, is to, to simply survive. Surviving in the seasons of challenge, the seasons of famine, the seasons of hardship, enduring, surviving is the work of God. We seem to think that the, the work of God in our lives is only the abundant life, is only when things are all going our way, is only when we don't have any problems anymore. But the truth is that when we face those hardships in life, we need to be okay with surviving, with enduring, with persevering. So you know what I've told myself during this season? Because you know, usually I, like, I plan for the future, I think ahead, I love all of that. You know what I've been doing? Odette. Odette, one day at a time. And I get through the day, and I say, thank you, Jesus. I got through that day. And when I wake up in the morning, I say, good morning, Lord. And I start praying the Lord's Prayer. And that's okay during this season. Is it permanent? No. Is it long-lasting? Maybe more than we, what we want. But in the season of pruning and challenge and famine, it's okay to go one day at a time. It's okay to endure and persevere because sometimes God is strengthening us just to do that during this time. So uh, in James chapter five, he goes on about what this perseverance or what this endurance looks like, whether it's temptation or it's actual physical hardship or persecution. And uh, he talks about perseverance in two specific ways. Um, he talks about patience, and he talks about prayer. Patience and prayer. Two ways in which we can endure. So we're going to talk about those two. James 5, 7 to 9, he says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. I'll just, can I stop there? Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know, um, Despite appearances, I don't know much about farming. And I just have this sort of this layman's, under, you know, that they plant seeds and it grows and, you know. 
But I also do know something about, it's an observation about farmers. They work really, really hard. Farmers, they, they, they're up before everybody. They go to bed after everybody. That's just my impression of stereotype. These are hard working people all throughout America. Farmers, they work really, really hard. But they do zero to grow a crop. They don't grow it. What they do and what they work so hard and diligently for is to create the conditions to have to yield the best fruit or crop. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And they live within that humble state. They live within that state of humility. That even if they give it their best effort, it still may not pan out. I was watching a video about a crisis that's happening amongst potato farmers in Idaho because, you know, the crop that they, that they yield goes for the, the, the projected following year. So obviously no one could have projected this global pandemic and how it would affect the, 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 the food industry and all of that. So apparently people are not eating french fries or potato chips anymore. I wouldn't know that, but apparently that's the case. And so here are these potato farmers, and they have nothing. Uh, they have nowhere to put these potatoes. They've done their best to give them away. I mean, they have these farm stands. They're just giving away potatoes as much as they can, but it costs them a lot of money to drive out to these places to distribute them. And so they've had to bury, they've had to build these graveyards for all these potatoes, all this food wastage. And you know when these farmers were interviewed, they're just like, yeah, we're just doing what we can. Doing what we can. And we're gonna maybe make some adjustments and prepare for the the following year. That's that's all we can do. That's all we can do. And that that phrase just came up. That's all we can do. All we can do. And that perspective is so different sometimes than my own perspective when I prepare and plan as if I know what's going to happen in the future and then I prepare and plan and work so hard for the future that I expect what I want to have happen to happen in the future and I forget that it's God who orders our lives. It's God who ordains the universe, who makes everything come into its place. And who am I in the midst of that? Be patient. Allow your heart posture to wait upon God. Patience is not passive. It's not passive. So then he says, he moves on to the subject of prayer. It's another way to endure. He says in uh, chapter five, verses 13 to 16, is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that they may be healed. And one of my favorite lines in the Bible, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, powerful and Effective, powerful, 
and if it does something. Prayer is also not passive. It is also not this well wish of thoughts and prayers that we send over the internet because we don't want to do anything. And we don't want to stay in longevity in prayer and pouring over our hearts over issues and, 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 and people that need the prayers of the Lord. And it's in those times, and I'm guilty of it too, I don't believe what James is saying here. At least in that moment, that, pr- that prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, patience and prayer are often seen as things that we don't, like it's the thing that you do if you can't do anything, right? I, I don't know what to do, I guess I'll just pray. I guess I'll have to wait and be patient. And James is saying, no, being patient in your heart posture and praying is what you need to be doing. It is the first step, it is the doing. Even though it feels like it's not doing. Why? Because sometimes, Show me is not about doing, but not doing. Why? Because God's doing it, right? God is the one who is at work. He goes before us. He was there before us. He's gonna be there after us. He orders the universe and its steps. He knit and formed us in our mother's wombs. He knows so much more than we do. So be patient, And don't live out faith as if God's doing nothing and sitting on his hands. God is at work whether we see it or not. So wait for it and be prayerful, understanding that a prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It's not wasting time. It's not well-wishing. It's powerful and it's effective. So I've done something recently. I've... um, felt convicted about this. Because you know, a lot of people come to a pastor and they have certain needs and, and prayers. So I do one of two things because I don't want prayer to just be this sort of, you know, this well wish that has no meaning. So I'll, I'll do one of two things. I'll either awkwardly just say, hey, can I pray for you right now? <laughs> or I have a 30 day calendar where I'll add, if someone needs ongoing prayer, I'll add them to my prayer calendar so that I know at the very least once a month I'll circle back and they will be prayed over. The truth is they come in my mind much more often than that but just to make sure as, as a safeguard to, to add to, to my prayer life just to be intentional to say you know I'm gonna stick with this prayer for this person. Some of you are on this prayer list by the way. So what does that look like for you? In the midst of a pandemic, when things are taken away, we have voices telling us to follow this way, to go that way, all with the promise of life. And yet here is Jesus saying, I'm the one that gives you life. Would you be willing to trust me, to wait for it, to allow me to do it on your behalf and and guide you into this everlasting life that I have given to you, not that is available to you someday when you die and go to heaven, but now, now you can live that life. Can we endure in this season? Now some of you might be in a season of abundance. That's great, if you're happy, rejoice. But my guess is a lot of you are in this season of challenge and pruning, feeling the weight of this 
huge life disruption, it's okay to endure. Go to God each new morning. And when you mess up, go to him the next morning. And when you mess up, go to him the next morning. Just like we say in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Let's endure together. Let's encourage each other in perseverance and patience and prayer as we wait upon the Lord during a challenging season. Let's pray. Oh God, you go before us. You already know what our week is gonna be like. And so God, instead of planning in such a way that I know what's going to happen, I pray that we can plan in such a way that we not only believe but expect that you are working. Help us to be better as we endure in perseverance, waiting upon you. Help us to be better in prayer, to name the specific hurts that are on our hearts, believing and trusting that you are so capable of all things. Thank you for this time. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it was great to connect with you here this morning. I pray that it was a blessing to you. But you might have been thinking about some real temptations that you've been struggling with during this time as we look in the book of James. And if that's you, I just want to talk to you a little bit about an important ministry that we have at our church called Celebrate Recovery. It's really a time and a space where we can come alongside of one another in the midst of our temptations or what we call our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. Every Monday night at 6.30, whether you're in person or online. We meet every single week to encourage one another. If you're interested, we have a, a page on our website, whfriends.org CR, or you can email us at info at whfriends.org, and we'll get back to you and make sure that you get connected. I invite you to also check out our website to connect with us in so many other ways in the life of the church. Drop a line. Give us a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are continuing to give out of your own generosity, thank you so much. You can find instructions for giving on our website. There's a big button on the front page of our website that says give. Um, now, uh, in just a few moments, there's going to be a few questions that pop up uh, related to the message this morning. Uh, if you're by yourself, maybe grab a journal. You can reflect on some of these things. Or if you're with your loved ones, take some time to discuss some of these questions so that we can be more than just a Sunday morning only church and continue to live out and show our faith in tremendous ways, even ways that we couldn't even imagine before as we uh, draw closer to Christ. Thank you, God bless you, and we look forward to touching base next week.